You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning. Hi. So if I've not met you, I'm Rich, and um, we're going to be looking at the penultimate part of our 12-week series in Mark. Um, Pete actually set us up really well last week for this week. So I want to start by reading out a quote. Normally we have a quote from, you know, uh, people who've written books and that type of thing. Pete should, read some, should write some books. But Pete said last week, what keeps us going in trials? So part of what he was preaching about was, how do you endure through hardship? Jesus wasn't a theorist. He was abandoned, deserted, falsely accused, mocked, spat upon and humiliated, flogged, then crucified. Jesus demonstrates it. And this week, we're going to come into two chapters which are about the death of Jesus. Um, it might be that um, you've seen me at some point um, preach before. I don't know how often I plug books. It's something I think I'd like to do more. So I want to tell you, before we even launch into anything else, if you're a reader, say you're here as a skeptic. Maybe you're here, you're not even sure this stuff to do with Jesus and the cross is real. I'd like to recommend you read a book called The Case for Christ. It's 400 pages by a journalist called Lee Strobel. If you're not sure you can do 400 pages, there's a booklet called The Case for Easter, which he's written as well, which is great if you're just grappling, even today as I speak, about, well, does this stuff even exist? Was this even real? If you're a Christian and you'd like to read a bit more about the heart, the emotion, uh, the brutality of the cross, which we'll cover today, Death by Love is a book by a guy called Mark Driscoll, which is an excellent read. And if you like big books, The Cross of Christ is an absolute classic by John Stott about the cross, and I've used some of that today. I'd really recommend over this next week or so in Easter, if you'd like to read some more, grab some of those resources. If you want to know more about how to get them or you'd like a copy, come and grab me at the end. As I've been preparing uh, to preach on the cross, um, I've been thinking, well, how does this all work? And I've been thinking a little bit about it like a heartbeat or a drumbeat. So I'm a drummer. You may have seen me play drums here on a Sunday before. Um, If you imagine our normal Sunday meeting, has a rhythm, has a drummer there playing a beat. And every single one of our meetings, every worship time, every sermon, every time we break bread, part of what we want to do as a church here is keep coming back to this rhythm of the cross and of the gospel of Jesus. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus deserves center place in every single one of our meetings. So I hope you feel that throughout the whole year we get this rhythm, this beat of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. But today, the way I've been thinking about it is that we're going to take away the other instruments on stage. So you might have other peripheral things that we talk about, great things that we preach about. But today, we're just going to have the drums. We're just going to have this beat of the cross of Christ. It's almost like today, I want you just to lean in. Imagine you're at a concert, all the other uh, musicians have left the stage. I want you just to lean in and listen with focus and listen with a sense of allowing this to come very close to you. We're going to turn up the volume on the death of Jesus on the cross. I have found uh, this week preparing, this has become quite emotive and emotional and in my face, the death of Jesus. And I think that's good. And I think we need that every now and then, to just strip everything back and to focus in. So my encouragement to you is, allow this to even beat in your heart. Allow this to be ringing in your ears as you leave into this week where we've got Easter. Um, A guy called uh, Matt Hosier has come to preach here before, and I've got a quick quote from him. He says, Easter is an intrusion upon our self-contained, self-confident lives. The image of a bloody saviour suspended on a cross interrupts our safe and sanitised existence. 
Easter breaks in on all of us, rich and poor, healthy and sick, European and African. It is a shocking message. Jesus was humble, he was obedient, and died. Today, I'm hoping that Easter is going to break into us as we start to look at these chapters. They are powerful chapters. Um, Abroad, um, you sometimes find meetings where people focus on the cross on Good Friday. Essentially, this is our Good Friday meeting. We're not meeting on Friday, so we're going to cover the cross and not look at the resurrection. We're going to get in that mindset. But in order to get into that mindset, they'd have a tomb at the front. We're not going to do that today, but in in other churches, even in the UK, you might have been in a church where on Good Friday they get rid of all the decorations. There's not even a cloth at the front. Just to say, we're going to pare everything back and focus in. Mark, in writing the book, I've just got a slide here, he, he actually has seven chapters at the start covering two years. And then he's got two other chunks, which are two chapters, each for six months of the next two sections. But Mark slows down and has five chapters just for the five days around the death of Jesus. We've got to understand, if we're going to try and get into this book on Mark, that when it comes to these chapters we'll read today, he is slowing you down. He is saying, stop here now. Focus on this. And so my question for you is, are you willing to let this speak to you today? To impact you today? We're going to read, we're going to have some people come and read uh, a long passage of Scripture, two chapters, much longer than we normally have on a Sunday. And we're deliberately doing that today. We're going to teach less and we're just going to hear the Word of God more to just allow it to come to the fore, to turn the volume up with no other instruments on stage. Let me just pray before that happens. Father, we want to come now and say we're not... We're not wanting to get used to the cross. We don't want to get over it. We want to be overwhelmed by it. We don't want to be familiar or lose the surprise or the impact of it. We don't want to be numb or calloused to the death of Jesus. We want to lean in today as we hear your word. We choose to lean in, God. Okay, um, Steve is going to come. Uh, with a few guys, and they're going to read this passage. I encourage you, put your phone away. uh, Take a few minutes, really, to let these verses speak to you. I might not say that on a normal Sunday, uh, but today, this really is what the sermon's about, is just these passages. They'll come up on the screen if you want to read them. So we're going to start with the plot. It was now two days before the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Chief Priests, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, that's Jesus, by stealth and kill him. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to portray him to them. And when when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. 
And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my very soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. While he was still speaking... Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs and from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? 
See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in the prison who had committed murder in in insurrection, there was a man called Barnabas. Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of the envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for they but the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And the crowd cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. And put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them casting lots for each to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see him and believe. 
those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness upon the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samakhani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. If it's okay with you, I'd like us to lean further in. You might even just be listening. I'd love us just to spend a few minutes leaning further in. We get the word excruciating from crucifixion. Crucifixion was the most barbarous, shameful, painful way to die. It was a slow, agonizing death by asphyxiation in humiliation and shame. We find Jesus, even before he gets to the cross, he's exhausted uh, we've seen already from these passages, uh, you know, some sham trials, some ridiculous trials, but they're all night. So he's exhausted, and we get this reference to the word scourging, and it just comes and goes. So scourging was to be stripped naked, and hands shackled above your head around a pole, with your shoulders and your back and your legs exposed, and a whip with a metal ball, or usually hooks made out of bone or metal called a cat and nine tails, would be sunk into the body and pulled back to rip out flesh, sometimes to rip bone off the body. Some men just died just from the scourging, so we find Jesus, he's in shock. There's flesh missing, bones shaken, he's covered head to toe in blood. If you'd known Jesus at the time, at this point, you, just, you wouldn't recognize him anymore at all. Then we get a battalion of soldiers. They gather around Jesus, and they push a robe onto his ripped-up shoulders. They put a bunch of needle-length thorns in his head. They hit him and drive it in and mock him for claiming to be more than just a man. And this is God. This is God with us. This is Emmanuel. So already we've seen the trials and the scourging and the beating, and Jesus... We've got to know he could have spoken up. He could have stopped this at any point. He's already said to the disciples, I can call down a, a legion, 12 legions of angels. But we'll come back to why he doesn't. So he's laid down on the upright and it's raised up with nails driven through his most sensitive nerve centers on his whole body. He's in unparalleled pain. And it's raised up and it's very, very public. This isn't a private execution. He's utterly naked, head to toe in blood, 
and it's a scene more horrific than any of you or I will ever see face to face. There's a large pool of blood and sweat and tears and bodily fluids. This is nothing like a stained glass window scene that you might have seen. Everywhere he looks, all that he hears, he's got enemies, he's got people accusing him, he's got mockery. He passes in and out of consciousness, baking in the sun, struggling to breathe when slouched. But he's unable to push up for any length of time because of the nails in his feet. And after three hours on the cross, Jesus dies. He's taken down, buried in a borrowed cave tomb. If you're there and you know Jesus, it's the darkest of days. It's the blackest of nights. You've got to try and get in the mindset of the people there, his mother and the disciples. The Son of God has died. Hope is dead. The Messiah, who's become a corpse. The one who has said he's the resurrection and the life has become a lifeless cadaver in a tomb. And creation itself reacts with this horror. It's midday, but there's pitch black for three hours. Really, that's the main focus of the sermon, was just to read it out and to allow that just to ring in our ears this week as we think about what Jesus has done for us. Um, There's one point I want to draw out, just the one. And rather than it have bullet points on the screen, I just want to tell it a bit like a story, just this picture. We often remember pictures better than we do bullets anyway. So over a thousand years before Jesus, Moses is pleading for the people of God to be freed out of slavery. And Pharaoh denies them their freedom, and a final plague comes which is the death of every firstborn, and that comes to Egypt. To be spared, there was only one course of action. You know this if you're a Christian, if you read the Bible for a while. There's only one course of action. The Israelites were instructed to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish, and the head of the household would slaughter the lamb and put the blood over the front door. The people of Israel were saved by that blood, by that lamb, And that Passover saw the people of God freed from Egyptian slavery. And Mark, in writing this, he wants us to see this horrific scene. He wants us to understand the gravity. He wants us to stop and look. But he also wants us to know that it's the Passover when it's happening. He mentions it in obvious ways, and he links Jesus' death to it in subtle ways. Because Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He's sinless, he's blameless, he's without blemish. He is the only way for us to be spared, to be saved by his death. He's the one led to the slaughter. The Passover lamb of the Old Testament really is just a shadow of the true sacrifice, the real Passover lamb, Jesus. But here's all I want to draw out of the story is that Jesus isn't brought kicking and screaming to the Passover He's not oblivious. Jesus chooses to die this way. Jesus sits and sets up this Last Supper, and he talks about blood being shed for many and his body being given. He's there in a Passover meal, and he is fully aware that he is the only sacrifice for sin. It's his final parable to the disciples. I will go to my death as the true Passover sacrifice. You'll have seen every now and then Mark uses these words. Jesus was led out. He's led this place, led that way. 
It sounds like a lamb for the slaughter. Nobody takes Jesus' life. He lays it down of his own accord. Jesus is the true sacrifice for sin, but he's willing. He doesn't refuse. He doesn't speak up in court. He knows he's going to carry your sorrows. He's going to be killed in your place, in my place, for your doing, wrongdoing, for your rebellion. At nine in the morning, Jesus is led and put onto the cross. And it's the exact same time that the Passover lambs in AD 30 would have been led into the temple to be slaughtered. Jesus is committed. He's choosing to do this for you. And at exactly 3 p.m., we read that Jesus breathes his last breath. Three o'clock was the time that the priests would actually kill the lambs in the temple in Jerusalem. He's demonstrating he loves you so much. He's glad to die for you. And Jesus, he dies this death, this horrible, awful scene. He dies it for you. And he dies it, he dies this death by choice, a willing sacrifice. Imagine you're in Egypt just after the, the Passover and uh, you'd stop an, an Israelite and you'd say, who are you and what's your story? Just give me the short version. And they'd say, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of a lamb and escaped that bondage. And now God lives with me and with my people and we're following him to the promised land. The picture I'd like us to see out of this horrific scene is that it's exactly the same for us if we're Christians. You can stop us and ask us what our story is and we can say, I was a slave under a sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and escaped that bondage. And God now lives with me and with my people and I'm following him onto the promised land. Okay, I just want to end with a, a note for you if you're here and you're not Christian and you think, what on earth is all this stuff? And you may have heard about Jesus' death, but the focus of this sermon might seem so strange to you, so extreme. One way I sometimes think we should approach the Bible is to ask, well, where am I in the story? So Mark fourteen fifteen, who am I in the story? You wouldn't say you're Jesus, um, but maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're not sure, you'd call yourself a Christian. You might say, I'm a bit like the disciples, maybe standing to one side looking. Or maybe you're like somebody in the seat in a court in one of the, the trials, and you're, just, you're making up your decision about who Jesus is. At one point, I would have thought myself in that type of position, but as incredible as it is to say The longer I've been a Christian, the more I've realized that you and I, each one of us in the room, we're much more active. We're much more like Judas. As horrible a thing as that might be to say, we had the chance to follow Jesus, but we chose by our our actions and our words and our motives and our attitude, by our pride, by our wrongdoing, by our self-centeredness, we chose to rebel. And so today, it's much less that we're bystanders and much more that we're active in our rebellion against Jesus. But the good news is, 1 Peter 3, a book later in the Bible says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
Romans 5 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, God wants to do exactly what it says in 1 Peter and bring us to God. To be made right with God, to come back from our rebellion, is just to ask Jesus to remove the trash from our lives, to erase the wrongdoing, leave it behind. And Jesus has made a way that he would bring us back to God. We're going to hear more about the resurrection next week. Pete's going to preach a stormer, an amazing sermon, I'm sure. I'm just going to lead us in two prayers as we close. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, you'd say, you know, I would never describe myself as a Christian. I'm here more looking in. I'd just like to lead a prayer. And if you feel like today you would like to be brought back to God, away from your rebellion, then maybe you just want to say it in your heart as I say it out loud. And for everyone else in the room, for all of us, what I'd love us to do is just to, is just to close our eyes. We're going to pray a prayer together in a minute, but let's just give a little space by closing our eyes. So if you're here today and, and you'd like to be brought back to God, why don't you just repeat these words in your heart or softly under your breath after me. God, I want to come back to you. I've rebelled and walked away from you. Today, I want to make a step back. I accept the love you have for me. And I offer myself to you, Jesus. Whilst everyone's eyes are closed, if you're in that position and you've prayed that prayer, I want to tell you Jesus loves you and he is pursuing you. He loves you more than you even know. But I'd also just like to ask you just to raise your hand whilst everyone's eyes are closed, just to give me an indication of if there's maybe someone we can chat to afterwards. That's fantastic. Thank you. Okay, just to close this, we're going we're gonna to break bread and have communion. I'd love us just all open our eyes. We're going to have a prayer come up on the screen. Um, this isn't the end of your response. I want just us to use this prayer as a way just to open ourselves up a bit to the response that we're about to have with communion. And we're going to watch a video and hear some singing about Jesus and his death. But allow this just to be the beginning of your response to all that we've heard today. We're going to say this out loud together. It's quite old school. So let's just do it at the pace that it comes to us. Jesus, no one could ever take your life from you, and I could never find life on my own. Because of your sacrifice in my place, I now live in your freedom. There's no way I can offer a response significant enough for the mercy you've shown me, for the sacrifice you've made. I'm humbled. I worship you.